different people groups. And now in his infinite wisdom and creativity, he uses you. And like Midwest uh, sang so many years ago, you might be the only Bible another person ever reads. We're going to go to chapter 5. And before we do, I got to take you back to a blissful morning out on Nootka Sound. You know it's going to be about fishing. We're offshore and we're putting down our lines and we used to go out to the open water, which drove me crazy, 18-foot boat. We didn't have proper GPS or anything like that. In fact, I could tell you horror stories of how my father-in-law wants me to help him guide the, uh, the boat to who knows where and I am such a landlubber, it's unbelievable. And he says, get out the compass, where is it? I don't know, it's in one of those garbage bags and there's like about five, six garbage bags and we need the compass right about now. Nonetheless, this was not one of those mornings. This was, oh, excellent. We stayed inside of the inlet. And this was a particularly good year. We put down our, uh, we're out at, at about 5 in the morning, 4.30 we get going. 5 in the morning we get to the place uh, just outside the corner of Hoist Bay. And uh, I'm not really supposed to tell you that because all fishermen are liars. We really don't tell you how deep we go or where we actually caught them. But nonetheless, I'll tell you, we were around Hoist Bay this morning and it was kind of fun because we put down our um, downriggers and we go down whatever 30 feet one guy does and maybe 60 feet another person. So we're bringing it down and we have anchovy with little, little silver heads on them. They go down and we're watching other boats and as we're just settling in and we start to unscrew the lid to our coffee because it's very important, got to be on the ball and have good coffee. And as we're unscrewing, all of a sudden, you know, fish on, I got a fish. And if you know Norm at all, I got a fish. That's what he says all the time. I got a fish, you know. And uh, he grabs the line and he pulls it up and he starts doing this. And not too long later, all of a sudden, oh, mine's moving too. And I have to go to the other side of the boat. And now we're bringing up uh, different, at different times. But nonetheless, by 8.30 in the morning, we had our quota. We could not go fishing anymore that day. I mean, that sounds really boring, but it's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. So by 8.30 in the morning, you guys, we, had, we come into the camp, and we're feeling it. All these old men that are sitting at the end of the dock drinking beer already, probably by 8.30 in the morning, yeah. Uh, we are going there, and we got our fill. We can do whatever we want. And I have to admit, though, being a fisherman and a bit of an excitable guy, I did, I'm sorry, but I did say, oh, God, this was so fun. The only thing that could make it better is if we would have a double header. <laughs> Greedy bugger, eh? Double header means that both of our lines go at the same time. And the next morning we get up and we go back out the hoist. And it's not going good because we put down our lines. And if you know Norm, also he's, he'd make a good Mennonite in that way. He hates losing gear. And one of these... Um, bombs that we set down, these metal or these um, lead weights, they, they're like 25 bucks each. So we put them down all of a sudden, snap! Oh, gee whiz, but at least it's his side, so he can't get mad at me. <laughs> or I don't mess with mine, right? I start putting mine down secretly. I'll get the first bite. I'm putting, snap! <gasps> no two are out of so we have to bring them back up and we got to curl stuff around and we're losing stuff we, we lost those balls cannonballs but we've also lost some gear at this point this is not cool and i you know the lord did hear me kind of say it would be really cool if we had a double header not a catastrophe of all sorts right so lots of it is going on and it's not good and then finally we get things down and we finally put these things and it's time to finally open the, the thermos to get some all of a sudden 
I got a fish. I got one too. And honestly, the good Lord is smiling upon us because <laughs> both of our rods are dangling like this. And now this is tricky stuff because it's one little 18-foot boat and you got two guys working it and we got a couple of kids in the boat and we got to somehow bring them to the boat and net them and not lose them. And that's, it's tough. <laughs> we don't even notice the kids at this point. He says, do we lose the kids? I don't know. You know, they know better. Get out of the way, right? So now we have to somehow, like I've got to kind of work with my fish and not bring it in too, too, too quickly so that Norm can bring his in more quickly. I can net his and we can bring up the downriggers and then he can come over to my side of the boat and now I can bring mine in. Well, you guys, by 7.30 in the morning, we had our quota. I had nothing to do after it was awesome. <laughs> Fishing, so fun. But you know, uh, I'm surrounded by beauty. I'm surrounded by the ecstasy of catching that many fish so quickly. It was amazing. But yet, um, my fishing story isn't done yet. I would love to say that that's my responsibility is to fish. In fact, my responsibility is to catch. But as a fisherman, my job isn't done until I teach my kids how to fish. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? So it's interesting because we are going into one of three of the next natural miracles that Jesus pulls off. And the first one here is all about making fishers of men. So today we're going to ask some important meddling questions and you're going to hear lots about it. The board's going to hear about it. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? How do you know that you're a disciple? And if he calls us to be disciple makers, how do we know when we're actually making disciples? You ask yourself that question? Because so often we say stuff about ourselves, but we've actually never figured out, well, wait a second, this is a disciple. And I was surrounded by, I'm not even sure if it was 120, 150 folks from different uh, churches this weekend. And there was all sorts of buzz because we were trying to figure out as pastors, what is it? What are we looking for when it comes to a disciple? So before we jump in, let's pray about that. Father, we come to you and we just ask that you would continue to work in our hearts. We don't just want more information. We need transformation. We need to know what does it mean to walk with you? What does it mean to be a disciple? When somebody calls himself a Christian, we got all sorts of thoughts. In fact, the world and media has all sorts of thoughts what that means. But Lord, we want to know from you today. We don't want media to answer this question. We want to know, Lord, what is it? How do I know that I'm a disciple of Christ? And not only that, how do I make disciples? So Lord, we got ears to hear. And please speak to your church this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 5. Please turn with me. Luke chapter 5. Starting at verse 1 to 11, and we'll be looking at the New Living Translation this morning. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water, so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So this is kind of neat because these guys are bummed out. There's been no good fishing, but it's also important that you wash the nets. Even my little net that we used to just 
uh, net the fish that we caught with a pole. We got to wash it out because the stuff and the slime from the uh, fish, if it stays on the net, it's going to help rot out the net. So that's what these guys are doing. They're cleaning their nets. So he turns over to Simon, its owner. He asked to push it out to the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and I didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners into the other, uh, in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. This is better than my story. <laughs> I love it. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. He was awestruck. He was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. And this is kind of neat because I was wondering about this, and not so long ago there was actually a recent discovery in the Sea of Galilee of a boat 26 and a half feet long and 7 and a half feet wide, which makes this probable that if he falls to his knees, this probably happened in a boat that big. He was awestruck, couldn't believe it, and not just couldn't believe how much fish they saw, but I think we're going to see in just a bit, something happened in Peter that day that I think each one of us, it needs to happen in our hearts. He was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James, John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also amazed. They were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, what does the next part say? They left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything and followed Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. You guys, this is a really fun story and an exciting story, but I think there's a lot of stuff in here when it comes to discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? And here I can even think of sitting on that rock-hard bench as a little boy, hearing that I'm supposed to be a fisher of men. We sang this song over and over again, what in the world it means no little kid understands. But here it seems as though he is calling us to be fishers of men. The first thing we see here, you guys, is there's a proclamation and there's information. Jesus is preaching and he's proclaiming the good news. So he's presenting the good news and who he is, and he's also proclaiming the good news through his mouth. And people are hearing about the good news, the gospel of freedom, some of them for the first time, some of them finally getting it the first time. But nonetheless, there's so many people pressing against him that he has to move out into a boat and he's preaching because the, the crowds are gathering and they're pressing in to listen. I think that's one of our first things is a disciple needs to learn how to listen. When's the last time you've been in a board meeting or a very important meeting of the church and you've actually learned to listen for the shepherd's voice? Jesus is speaking, wants to speak. I'm not sure if we're always that good at listening. Romans 1 
is a haunting portion of scripture to me because it seems to me, and I don't get all this, but it seems to me in Romans 1 that he says that he is pro- proclaimed and he has made known God and his, the evidence of God all over the place that people just have to pay attention. So that means all over the world, the evidence of God is everywhere. And what are people doing in response to that? Then now that doesn't negate that we can't, we're not supposed to go out because all over scripture we know that because we have the good news of Christ, many of us will be called just to our neighborhoods. Many of us will be called to the other ends of the earth. But God makes himself known. And here, I love it, because Jesus is actually using information, but he's also proclaiming the good news, and people need to respond. And I love it because in verse 4 and 5, we see that even though Simon Peter doesn't want to, he does. And what happens to him later is absolutely incredible. Romans 10 verse 14 says, But how can they call on him, on Jesus, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? It's a big deal that we share our faith. In fact, you know the Great Commission, right? What's the first word of the, of the Great Commission? Go. And one of our problems here in North America is we love to build lovely churches and we say, come. He says, go. Go. So there's a proclamation and there's information. It's definitely stuff has to go through our, through the cranium. But the sad part is a lot of this gospel talk and a lot about who Jesus is and the reality of God in our lives, a lot of it gets stuck up in our heads and never quite makes it down to our hearts. Many years ago, somebody says, said to me that you can be 18 inches away from heaven, 18 inches being from your cranium down to your heart. It never sinks in and never becomes part of your central nervous system of who you are, who, who, all the decisions that you make. It stays up here. You have lovely knowledge. But we saw last week, but big deal about that knowledge because even the demons believe God and they shudder. So the first thing we need is proclamation and information. But secondly, is that there needs to be a response. And I love verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he says, oh, Lord, leave me. I'm going like, what? Thank you, brother. Uh, oh, Lord, leave me. I'm such a sinful man. He was awestruck because of all the fish, as were the others with him. His partners, James, John, sons of Zebedee, they were amazed. But it's interesting. Oh, Lord, please leave me. Why? Why Please leave me. Why? What did he say? Unbelievable, huh? So he saw something that blew his mind with all the fish, but instantly he drops to his knees. He says, go away from me. Is he being a jerk? Absolutely not. That's a way of just saying, "I, I, I, I can't be around you. I know who I am. This is unreal. And this is often the place, you guys, where the information goes from your head to your heart. If you think it's just about Jesus as a lovely lifestyle or it's a hip thing to go do these days and you actually have a revelation of how, how much you need to be rescued, that like me, you're a bit of a screw-up or you've messed up so many times you failed, 
if you're sitting here and those, that message has offended you, what I've just said, then you've got some work to do because pride doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. And we're often on our knees before we realize what Christ has done. And like I've said before, in youth group, we've been going over this, and I love it because we often say that Jesus Christ came to save. Love it. But in youth group, there was just kind of made more real to me when we had this chapter of he has come to rescue us. Because when you need to be rescued, you need to be rescued. I can't do anything. I got no connections. I'm flat out of ideas. Help. And Jesus rescues us. Jesus rescues us. So many of us, like I said, we get stuff, information stuck in our brain, and that's where it stays. But head knowledge does not bring about transformation. This portion of scripture, you guys, is actually called a theophany. And a theophany is a visible manifestation to humankind of God. So God reveals himself to people. And the most, one guy said this, and the, one of the most um, common imperatives that you see in scripture is do not be afraid. And we see it here again. Do not be afraid. And it's the most common statement when heaven meets earth. When heaven meets earth, it's like, don't be afraid. One guy named Stein says, readers tend to expect a sense of awe and appreciation for the catch of fish rather than the confession of sinfulness. Yet, if we understand this account not so much as a miracle or a pronouncement story, but rather as a theophany involving, it's, it's a call to service, the response is very appropriate. In a theophany, a confession of one's sinfulness and the title Lord are most fitting. Such a theophany often occurs before a divine call to service. And here it foreshadows Peter's future role in the church. If you remember later on, he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in this theophany, there's this, Oh God, I am so sinful, Lord. So you have both sides of the coin, like, ah, and this bending down, going on your knees. I don't deserve this. But then also a realization that he is master. So we got another clue of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Coming to an end of ourselves, swallowing our pride, and looking toward Christ as Lord and Master in our life. So it's a response, but I, I want to add there too, but we have this information, we hear about Jesus and all that stuff, or we see God at work. We need to respond, and I got to throw in here, that I don't think we can respond without revelation. I think Jesus Christ, often through the Holy Spirit, reveals himself. And you know what I mean by that? Is sometimes you can read a portion of scripture and it's, you're falling asleep, and the next time you read that portion of scripture, all of a sudden, oh my goodness. And the Holy Spirit is kind of revealing it. Same time, same thing is, I've been in situations where this one time in Lethbridge, it was so fun, I was asked to go speak at a youth group. And I spoke at the youth group, and I used some Old Testament story, and then I linked it to the New Testament, and I asked the kids, hey, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? And all of a sudden, <laughs> there was just tons of kids coming forward, giving their life to Christ. The youth pastor was over here going, what? You know, because this guy's been faithful for like five years to this youth group. Here, I walk in, and I tell a cool story, and the kids are, <laughs> they all want to become Christians. And he's like, what's going on? Like, how are they, you know, I don't know. 
And it is kind of funny that, because I've had the same. I've you know, been t- trying to disciple kids, and nothing's working. Some guy comes in, says something, and everybody's like, 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 come on, right? And that's what happened. This, it seems as though that there was a revelation, and Christ just opened up the word of God, and kids responded. So he does the same to us, and I think that's one of those reasons why we got to pay attention and we got to listen. But it's not information that's going to change us. And response is really important, response with revelation. But we're not after more information. In fact, discipleship isn't about me just going to Dale and now let's memorize verses, let's memorize verses. If this has something to say to you, well, how are you going to respond? That, you know, it might be lovely to memorize verses. And in fact, it is good stuff. But information, does it transform you? I'm going to even say this. Is Jesus just simply interested in changing your behavior? No. You know what he's in for? Transformation. Transformation. This is what he wants. And you know that from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? By the renewing of your mind. So the mind's very important. Because a lot of us, we got messed up thoughts. We got messed up thoughts about who we are because we have a messed up background, what happened to us with our parents or whatever, or sometimes some of our uh, friendships that we've held or things we've been involved in, sin and all that stuff. And sometimes we have a messed up view who God is. We've only seen God from this side of the diamond. We haven't seen the whole gospel that he's interested. Yes, he is love, but he is also justice. And he's very interested in social justice, but he's also love, grace, mercy, and he's holy. And he holds all of those things perfectly. He wants us to be transformed. So transformed is very important because it's not extrinsic, extrinsic, it's intrinsic. It's internal. It's changing from the inside out. So yeah, your behavior will change. But Jesus isn't going there, oh, you got to stop doing that stuff. He's actually wanting an inside change. He wants your heart, your appetites to change. And that will spill out into your behavior. But he's interested in transformation. So what does it look like to be a disciple? I think at this conference they were nailing it pretty good. A disciple is somebody who commits to the lifelong journey of listening, of obedience, and transformation. What do you think of that? You don't have to totally hook, line, and sinker, but think about that. Write it down or whatever, and come back to me next week if you want to add something or take something away. A disciple of Christ is someone who commits to the lifelong learning of listening, sorry, the lifelong journey of listening, obedience, and transformation. So we're listening for Jesus. We're obeying what we know and what we find out. We're being changed from the inside out. And now we're looking for others to disciple. That's part of discipleship. So being a disciple just isn't learning more verses and you being changed because inevitably in this process, we are called to go. Not to shout from these four walls, come, but to go. Eugene Peterson, I like it. He has a book, but he calls it this. 
Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And you know what's interesting, you guys? This happens in community. Did you notice that when all their nets were breaking and they had so much fish, what's the first thing they did? Guys, guys, we need help. And another boat comes and people surround them and they start working together. Oh, wouldn't it be lovely if we could be the perfect disciples all by ourselves? Because it's all of you people that get on my nerves, right? But it's interesting that we need each other and often you or I am the file that helps you become all you can be in Christ. We need each other. We absolutely need each other. There isn't discipleship really apart from community. We need to be in fellowship, you guys. From the first day of giving your life to Christ and becoming his disciple, it is followed by daily decisions of being his disciple. Does that make sense? Let me put it this way. I made a vow to Jody to be a faithful husband long time ago. It's almost 15 years now. So is that good enough that I said it? In fact, even that day I said I love her. And that's enough. Okay? So it's interesting because the day that I made my vow to Jody to be a faithful husband, now I need to live out that vow daily the rest of my life by committing myself to serving her and dedicating myself to growth. So it's kind of like that. If we just say yes to Christ and we think that's it, that's not a disciple. Just like if I just say I'm a husband because I said something 15 years ago, that doesn't really make me a good husband. That husband is dedicated and continually, daily, I dedicate myself to Jody, and then I dedicate myself to growth to become a better man, better husband, better dad. The same thing is going on with discipleship, is that we're constantly hearing, we're constantly learning, we're constantly being transformed, which leads us then into our last one, is that it really is a calling. If uh, He's calling us to be fishers of men, fishers of people. So we have been fished, and now he's calling us to be fishers. We have been fished, and now we're called to be fishers, fishers of people, to go. There's a different word, Greek word here used for fishing, apparently, um, because if you think about it, if we're go, supposed to really go out and fish for men like the way we fish for fish, it's kind of a gross thought because we want to catch it, we want to slay it, we want to eat it. So it's just like, it's got to be a better thought than that. But uh, we're, So we're not talking this kind of slaying that he uses in Jeremiah 16, but more of a fish to capture them, to grab their attention, to bring them in. So it's interesting here because when I was thinking about this, I would say that everybody can fish. All of you can fish in this room. All of you can fish, but not everybody can catch. And there's the difference is I think that we're called to become fishers of men. If I can even go further and say, I think we're supposed to be catchers of men, catchers of people. So that doesn't mean you'll always be successful. That doesn't mean that some of you might only disciple a couple of people in your life and other you might disciple hundreds. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say here is just like how I hang out with my father-in-law and I learn every year a new knot and how long the leader has to be. 
and where to get some of these hookups and where to go, hoist bay or beer can bay, whatever it might be. I learn those things. I take note and sometimes I record them. But the more I hang out with them, the more and more comfortable I become at running the boat. And it's the same thing in our discipleship. We hear the information and by revelation and response, we're transformed, not once, we're transformed daily. Daily, 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 daily. And if we are transformed, we are changing from the inside out and now part of those marching orders is to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples. So this is scary because I'm much rather sitting here all day long, eight hours a week, and wait for the doorbell to ring and you come on in, I know you want to talk about Jesus. But we're called to go. And we've had this experience, you guys. We've had a kiddo that went all over the place, and one of the, heart, one of the heartbeats of myself and my wife was, oh, <sighs> because what seemed to sometimes happen is some folks that were involved with him just wanted to have a conversation and want him to phone them. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes we have to understand it's not about waiting for people to come to us but we go to them because we have the good news. And just like Jesus went to these guys, and then when all of a sudden he pulls off his whole fishing trip, then all of a sudden Simon Peter falls to his knees and go away from me, I can't, I can't handle this. And he has this huge theophany, this realization of who Jesus is to become a fisher of men. To become a fisher of men, you need training, you need experience. You need patience, and you need observation. But it's interesting, because when I asked you guys, what is the last line, uh, it was kind of funny, because I'm sure it was just a mistake. But the person that called out when I said, what does the last verse say? What came back to me is, and they followed Jesus. And it was kind of funny, because they left out, they left everything and follow Jesus. And I would love to leave that out. They left everything and follow Jesus. Does that mean that right after service, we're going to have a flea market? You're all going to go home and get your stuff, and we're going to get rid of it. And then we can follow Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, no. No, there's got to be a different interpretation here. It seems as though our first call of discipleship is loyalty to Jesus, and loyalty to Jesus trumps everything. Loyalty to Jesus trumps everything. That's discipleship. When we learn to respond, when we learn to listen, when we learn to be transformed on a daily basis, and then we start paying attention for others that we can disciple. This isn't just a lovely idea. This is what we're called to do, you guys. So your discipleship might be your neighbor, your discipleship might be a grandchild, your discipleship might be your brother, I don't know. But you start thinking this way. How can I help be a part of the transforming journey of Dale, of Elaine, of Matt, of David? And God is calling us to be fishers of people. And that's what it entails. I don't know if I told you this, but many years ago, I was part of a, 
of a camp, and we were kind of situated off the edge of four indigenous reserves. And what would happen is a certain church group would come in every summer and put up a big tent, and then they'd preach Jesus Christ and sing all sorts of cool songs. It was a lot of fun. People were dancing around, and then people would come to Christ, and then the week was over, they'd fold up their tent, and they'd leave until the next week. So my little buddy who became a Christian at camp, Neil Murdoch, uh, Neil gave his life to Christ in my little cabin. And then I came back the next year, and thank God Neil was there. And I asked Neil a little bit about how it went and all that stuff. And he just admitted to me that, what am I supposed to do? I want to live for Jesus, but his only spiritual influence on the reserve was a witch doctor. So it was great for me to hear that. Because sometimes we're just interested in sharing the good news. Somebody seems to respond and we walk away. We are called to be disciple makers. So we've got to get out and share ourselves. We've got to get out in community. We have to continually be transformed, 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 transformed. And we've got to go. We've got to understand that there might be people all around us, or it might be that God is putting his finger on your heart, and you've got to go even further. I'm not sure. But there is a calling for us to be a disciple and to make disciples. And we've got to be willing to leave everything and put Jesus first in our lives. Go into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me read from Romans 10 one more time. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew, Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generosity or generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So our takeaway, I think, today is, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Not just a convert. Are you a disciple of Christ? Have you made that vow with Christ, like I did to Jody, and you're continually growing, continually learning what it means to serve Christ? Continually being transformed. And part of that transformation journey is that now you're on the lookout. You're listening to Jesus. You're obeying what you know and what you're finding out about Jesus. And now you're paying attention because you're being transformed. And you're going, who can I also help? Who can I help and teach them how to fish? Who can I disciple? Who can I bring along with me on my journey? You guys, that might be if you're a teacher or administration at school. you got hundreds of little kiddos. Start paying attention. Start paying attention. If you're working at a factory, who are the people that you're walking alongside? Who's beside you? If you're a student, who's in your class? If you're an athlete, who's on your team? 
Are you paying attention to the people around you and who God is calling you to share the gospel, to live the gospel, and to see transformation happen in their life and walk with them? I know this is going a bit long, but i got to tell you this one more story. Uh, one guy that became a Christian in my office, um, Bill. Bill was really neat, and he had all sorts of background issues. And it was so cool because he phoned up, and he was just energetic on the phone. He says, you know, I, I just need to get stuff life in my right. I, I, I just need God in my life. I said, why don't you come on over? He comes, and he sits down, and he goes off. I can hardly get a word in ed edgewise, and he talks about God. And he wants to leave this behind and this and that. Everything's screwed up. He just needs God. He needs God. And he says, I, I said to him, Bill, I've heard a lot about God, but have you ever heard about Jesus? He says, what are you talking about? What are you, no, go ahead, tell me. So I said to him, like, I respect what you're saying about you want a connection with God, but the way to God is through Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for you. You guys, it was very interesting because that day he committed himself to Christ and he lived happily ever after. <laughs> Not. Right? But you know what was really neat? It was so fun because I would get texts from that guy uh, daily for a while. So his life was open to me, and I would just give him advice. He'd come to my office, we'd pray together, and sometimes I even tried to do a book, but oftentimes so much life was happening to him that I'd help him process life. And some really bad stuff happened to him, but we would talk about it, and we'd process it once again. And then he, you know, at one point he even uh, borrowed some money. I thought, oh, I don't know if this is going to go well. And I tell you what, he was way up north, and he got his mom and his sister to come to this church and gave me back that money. Like there was so many cool things happening in his life. This guy was being discipled by little old me. And it wasn't clean cut. But he was so growing in Jesus Christ, you guys. His appetites were changing. His thoughts were changing. He had a Bible in his lunch kit, a Bible in his truck, everywhere. Bible everywhere. It was so cool. Now, there is an awe to this story. He did pass away. He came back from up north, and he, he died in a head-on collision out here. But, you guys, he knew Jesus Christ. And I'm just telling you this because it was, in a way, it was pretty easy to disciple him in the way that he just shared his life, and I kind of shared how I think the Lord, just trying to open up his eyes to how the Lord's at work in those situations. He was being discipled. And he was becoming a disciple maker because now he was starting to mouth to speak what was happening in his, his heart. So it can be that easy. But I think we've got to pay attention. Because the Lord is at work. We want to be a part of it. Amen? And he wants to use you. We are called to be disciples. And we're also called to make disciples. All of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I do pray that each of us, you have worked in our appetites this morning to help us to realize that we need you, that we need to listen, that we need to obey, and that we need to constantly be transformed daily. And in that transformation, Lord, there no doubt is an appetite that you give us to share with others. And then, Lord, help us not to be guilty of sharing with others and then walking away, but help us to walk with people throughout life. They might only be in our lives for a few months or a couple of years, but help us, Lord, to walk alongside them and do life. 
as the other boat of disciples came to help out the, the boat with success, I pray, Lord, that we would always be convicted to be in community and that you would help us to look out for one another, help us to go and make disciples, and help us to be disciples, Lord. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord. And I just ask that you would continue to encourage us this morning as we're going to hear some more gospel coming from two pretty special people this morning. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.